0: And welcome to the Adaptation Station podcast. This is your host, Nicole. I'm a former special education teacher and currently an ABA therapist at a private center. This podcast is filled with tips and tricks for not only being the best special education teacher you can be in the classroom, but living the best life you can live outside of the classroom as well. After all, I'm all about balance. Hope you guys are excited. Let's jump on in. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today's podcast is going to be talking about uh, relationships with parents and supporting them, but I'm excited for my co-host because she's going to give us a little bit of insight about a particular type of situation you might be in because one thing I quickly realized when I went to work in a public school is the relationships that my fellow teachers had with their families looked pretty different than what I needed to have just due to the nature of the classroom that I worked in, the type of needs I was supporting, and I kind of struggled with knowing how to approach parent relationships. So I have rambled enough in the beginning. I'll let her introduce herself now.
1: Thanks, Nicole. Um, Hey, this is Sam farmer I am on Instagram as the edclean, I am a self contained behavior support teacher. So essentially, that is a um, special ed teacher um, and I work exclusively with students with emotional or behavioral needs in an elementary setting. Um, Right now I'm teaching in Indiana um, and hoping to stay here for a little bit, um, but always open for new opportunities.
0: And I'm really excited. Sam came up with this topic, but I loved it because I think this is one area that a lot of us need some support in. And I clearly remember my first year of teaching, I was talking to a fourth grade teacher. And in my county, they do parent teacher conferences at the end of the first quarter. So our end of our first quarter is usually the first week of November and there are parent teacher conferences. And that's the only like scheduled or mandated one. So like you have that one parent teacher conference, and then you might go the rest of the year not talking to Your uh, the parents of your students, that is not the reality of the type of classroom that I was in. But I tried to model my communication in that style because I thought that's what you're supposed to do, and it led to a lot of downfalls with my families. And I wasn't really supporting them, and I didn't understand why. So first, do you feel like you kind of explain why maybe we might need to have some more contact than our general education teachers might have with their families?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think when we look at special ed as a whole, I mean. When we look at the special ed process, we're really looking at more, um, you know, restrictive or more supportive services. And so we have to continue that continuum with our parent engagement. I mean, it really only makes sense. And I think when we're talking about, um, you know, students who have, you know, diverse challenges um, or, or different needs we have to think not only do they need the different needs in the classroom, but we really need to meet those different needs with parents as well. Um, and I think that kind of puts into full circle um, why parent engagement is so important for our um, special needs kiddos and really kind of bring services um, fully around. Um, we really talk a lot about like wrap services. How can we wrap services around this, this child? Um, but when there's no full circle of communication or there's not enough communication, I think, that's where a lot of us um, run into those um, diverse um, barriers or that lack of engagement. Um, really, nobody's fault of their own, other than it, it's just really hard, and it just takes a um, lot to really wrap a team around a student and get that full communication cycle.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think another thing that's really misses, and I think this is true for all students, that home environment impacts the school environment. But especially with the students that I'm thinking back that I had, you know. They, I had students that did not sleep during the night you know they were they woke up at 11 o'clock at night and they stayed up the entire night that's going to significantly impact their day and if I'm not communicating with the families and I don't know that coming in I'm trying all these interventions not realizing that they came in with their cup not even empty but like non-existent and I'm trying to like make the day exciting and they have no energy like it you know and we have to really work with our families really, really closely. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think a lot of people kind of forget that our kids may have very different like dynamics and routines than what we would anticipate.
1: Sure, um, I feel like one thing I always think about um, parents, I feel like when there's a lot of lack of communication, it really is almost that parent guilt. Like they almost feel guilty um, for, you know, behaviors that their child might be exhibiting or, or things that the school is reporting back to them. And I think, I think for a lot of my parents, the first thing I always um, want to stress with them is that you are a partner with me in this. We are a partner in your child's education. Um, There is no guilt. There is no, um, you know, perfect parent pamphlet that tells you, you do X, Y, and Z, um, your child is going to do X, Y, and Z. And I think a lot of that just comes from um, providing parents knowledge. A a lot of parents um, believe, you know, my child is engaging in these behaviors because they're choosing to do that. And I think we as educators, many of us know, that's not true, kids do well if they can. If they have the skills and they're, um, you know, we're building that skill deficit, then then they're going to do well. And so I think a lot of times we have to take our special ed knowledge and we really have to give that to our parents and really empower them um, that no, this is not your fault. Um, you know, what's happening with your child is, um, not a direct correlation of you as a parent. And we really have to separate that concept. And I I think when we separate that concept, then parents um, feel more willing to want to engage with us, give us information that we need in regards to how my child slept last night, um, or things you know happening at home that could contribute to issues at school. And that really just kind of opens the floodgates of a higher form of communication, which ultimately means this is what's going to be best get the needs met for the child. Um, When parents are telling me things I need, I'm telling parents things they need. um, We can really um, move that communication barrier from home to school and school to home.
0: How do you approach, this is something that I always struggled with when I was teaching and I still struggle with it now. When we have these kids that maybe do have these challenging behaviors and it's, you know, a similar behavior pattern over a couple of weeks, couple of months, how do you keep the families updated on what's going on without making them feel like like I don't want them to feel like I'm calling home and being like, Oh, your kid had a bad day again. Cause that's like not my intention. I want that communication to be open, but I don't want it to feel like I am, like you said, layering that guilt on them or like making them feel bad. How do you balance those two things?
1: yeah i think we have to do a, a good job about really giving a good picture of what their child is like at school um sometimes parents kind of have this um, alternate thought process of you know this is uh, you know what my child is doing at school so i think we really have to lay out this is kind of picture perfect of what your child is doing at school these are the goals are working on these are their present levels this is what their behavior plan is um and really bring that around so that they really have a realistic picture of of kind of what their where their child is and I think one thing I've done um, for a really long time is I send um, daily emails to my parents in regards to like their behavior charts Um, again I'm in a self-contained very restrictive um, setting so really my level of communication is a daily level of communication if not you know more than that and so a lot of times I reframe my emails with a positive um, things room for improvement and then a positive Um, just because a lot of times before many of our students enter in the special education world their educational experience has been very negative and so we really want to reframe that mindset for parents that, you know, we're not just going to call you and tell you all the things that your child did wrong today. Um, we're actually going to highlight on the skills, um, things that they need to improve on or they're working on. Um, and then, you know, continue to build on that positive and I, it just takes time, just like we build relationships with our kids. We have to take the time and build relationships with our parents. It's, it's just human nature. And so, Then keeping that line of communication open and keeping it really positive, but also just stressing. These are things that you know they need to improve on because That comes from the carryover of skills when we're carrying over the skills from school to home. That's kind of when things are come around more for circle and we see a lot of progress from kids.
0: And one thing I wanna insert in there, and it's gonna be kind of like a harsh truth, but if you're listening to what Sam just said, and you're like, but I don't have a positive, then you're not looking with a full lens. If you're truly saying that your student has absolutely nothing positive, then you as an educator need to take a step back and figure out why are you not able to see the positives? Because whether it was just, they really enjoyed a book that they read, or they said hello to somebody, there is something positive in every day. And if you can't see it, then that's probably speaking volumes of like how you're interacting in the classroom. And we know that's gonna affect students. It might speak volumes to how your paraprofessionals are seeing how to act in the classroom. And so that's a big one whenever I say like, oh, she are positive, and they say, there is no positive. Well, that we're pinpointing a problem right there. So just, if that's your mindset, definitely think about what can you do to kind of find those positives, because that's gonna help build that bridge. And how do you, sometimes I feel like, I wish I could just go into the home. Like I would listen to parents and I'm like, I wish I could just, I could be there at night for that bedtime routine, or I could be there when you're trying to do homework or eating dinner. And we can't do that as educators. So how do you go about actually supporting parents in the home when you can't be there in the home?
1: Okay. I love this question because I especially feel like with students with behavior, um, you know, students who have you know academic skill or you know lack of academic skills they come to school it's an academic based setting you know they go home and and they play and a lot of them can be you know typical at home we're talking about students with um you know more extreme needs or or diverse behaviors a lot of times those behaviors don't stop so that carry you know we really want to focus on that carryover skills from um, school to home and talking about wrapping that child so a lot of times i think that's really funnels out into the IEP meeting. How can we frame this IEP meeting and how can we talk about the language that we're using at the school, the visual sports we're using at school? What are things that work best for us at school? What are strategies um, that are you know, promoting the most success for students? And how can we take those strategies and give them to parents so that they can be feasible in the home? And, and that's just hard because parents are tired. They go and work all day. They come home. A lot of them just need a break. A lot of them are in survival mode and, and they're just trying to make ends meet. And so I really think we just, that's where we again have to communicate and connect with our parents um, and really decide what kind of level of support can I give you um, in the home? I can't come into your home and you know, obviously provide my supports there, but what can I do to make that easier for you? For example, I had a student who really struggled getting on the bus in the afternoon. And if we, got, if we didn't get on the bus in the afternoon, then we were having a really bad time at home. Um, and it was just kind of a cycle of behaviors. And so um, mom and I had to work together to develop a end of the day plan for the student, kind of incentive plan for him to get on the bus. Um, so again, it's just working with the needs of those parents and transferring those skills from school to home. Um, we do a lot of that in like weekly newsletters um weekly contact about skills that we're working on the social skills um and just those daily progress reports that we send to parents you know these are the skills we worked on today these were the replacement behaviors these might be helpful for you to use at home
0: another thing that i hear pop up that i feel kind of ties into what you just said is i really like to remind people that most of the times our parents have not chosen to be in this world the way us as educators have been uh so you know, I, I have chosen to work in, with students with more challenging behaviors. And at any point I can say, I don't think I want to do this anymore. I'm going to change my job. And parents don't have the same training that we do because they didn't go get a college degree to do this. As maybe they're, they're stumbling their way through this is not ever something they thought would be part of their life. And we want to do everything we can to support parents, but we might have parents that just can't work with us right now because they're going through their own grief cycle. So what does it look like when you have a parent that maybe can't come to the table and collaborate with you because of where they're at in their own journey of being a parent with a child with these significant and complex needs?
1: I love how you frame that. Um, I've never really thought of it in that perspective. That was such good framing. Um, So I feel like for I've worked with so many parents it's my sixth year in the position and so I've had so many um, different families um, and we talk a lot about like the barriers like you're talking a lot about the barriers that these families encounter Um, I say one of the biggest barriers I've had is really just like cultural language differences Um, you know so students from that parents speak different languages at home and really trying to engage them, um, you know, getting them a, you know, a translator, um, you know, explaining to them the process um, and and everything that they really need to know to be critical to the IEP team. Um, I think for us it's okay to ask what level of engagement is necessary or feels appropriate that you can handle to be a part of this child's, you know, IEP team. That's an okay thing to ask. And I, and I think we have to really preface it with, you know, we're not making you feel guilty. Kind of like, you know, back to the point that you said, you know, these parents didn't choose this process. I mean, this process really chose them. And so I think we really have to honor, you know, our parents what time or what level of engagement they can put into it. And I think, you know, if they can say, you know what, I really can't respond to you every day um, in regards to a behavior chart. I would love to set up a 15-minute monthly meeting, you know, over Zoom. And if that's what they can give us, that's what they can give us. Um, it doesn't mean we stop giving them daily communication. Maybe they can take the time to read it before they go to bed. Um, but We just really, as educators, have to respect um, parents and the level of engagement they can give us because they are humans just like us. They wanna go home, they need to practice self-care. And a lot of times they they go home and they continue to do a job as being a parent. Um, And so I think it's just really, again, just touching base with the parent, what can you give me? Um, How can we work together? How can I best serve you to better serve your child?
0: And that's one thing that's always really important to me too, because I'm sure you have this as well. I typically kept students for three to four years in my classroom. That's a long time to be with a family. And you might find across those three years, your parents or your guardians or caregivers, they might have times where they're super involved and you know they, they're on the same page and then they might go through a dip themselves and then they're distanced for a couple of months. My job is the educator is to always have the table open. And I'm, like you said, always going to be providing that communication and maybe sometimes you're reciprocating, maybe sometimes you're not reciprocating and that's okay. I'm just going to continue to do everything that I can to help facilitate that. Mm-hmm. Did you have anything else that you wanted to share? Because this is, it's such a challenging position to be in. And so I just want to see if you had anything
1: else you want to throw out to teachers who are struggling right now. Um, I really think... Again, I I keep saying this, but I really think we have to view our parents as humans and we also just really have to view our parents as um, critical roles to the IEP team when we're giving them uh, just like we do with our our students when we give the parents the skills that they need to actively be a participant we're going to see more engagement from them Um, so it's just how can we transfer those skills how can we make parents knowledgeable about the iep process how can we make parents knowledgeable about um, their child being evaluated or what supports they can um, work with their child at home what skills are working on and i think the more we knowledge we give parents the more valued they're going to feel and the more likely they're going to engage um, in their child's educational process and specifically their child's educational process in in the special education world Um, that's just so important but we just need to have parents feel heard and valued
0: absolutely and another thing that i always loved to do This does not work for every family, but when I felt like it was appropriate, I loved to give the parents the same type of positive reinforcement or praise that I might give a staff member or a student. So if I saw a mom do something incredible, I would tell her, that was incredible, or like, you handled that so well, or I love the way you asked that question. And these parents are not, like, no one's there telling them that they're doing a good job. And we all love to hear that we're doing a good job, right? Like, you feel fantastic when your boss bossing, hey, you did awesome in that meeting. And so if I can be the person to maybe fill that need. It's so quick on my end, but it can help the mom or the dad or the guardian feel a little more confident. And then, you know, they go home and maybe they have a little bit of a better night and it can just really turn into a great relationship. So don't forget to positively reinforce your families as well.
1: (laughs) You're exactly right. We all need a little positive reinforcement in life.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And Sam shares a ton. Do you do a question sticker every week in your stories?
1: Yeah, every Sunday I um, share a question sticker, um, unless it's a Sunday where I'm practicing self-care. But usually every Sunday I share a question sticker so you can shoot me with your um, behavior problems um, or things you really need to chat out with me.
0: I'll have her Instagram link, but that's a really great resource to check out uh, because every Sunday you'll see a bunch of people submit kind of questions, scenarios, or they'll just want to know more information. And then she does a great job at having like really detailed captions where you can get a lot of information. So that's a great place to start if you're just trying to get, dip your toes into how can I support these families. And again, I'll have her Instagram linked in the show notes because there's a lot of great content there. Thank you so much for coming on the episode.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Nicole. It's a pleasure as always.
0: Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you like what you heard, I'd greatly appreciate if you left me some feedback. And if you want to hear more, go ahead and give me a follow. While you're at it, come say hi on social media. You can find me at Adaptation Station on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, and you can visit me at AdaptationStation.net. I can't wait to bring you guys the next episode, and I'll talk again soon.